Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Alan Parker said, sometimes... With the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. The Britflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen, and please rate and review us. You can just rate us. They all have star meters, which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all. Just click on it and you're done. And it'll be really helpful, trust me. The higher the star meter, the more reviews we get, the more ratings we get, the more the BritFlix.com podcast goes up the charts. Please, please, please. Come on, I'm begging you now. Everyone listening, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type BritFlix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time on your hands... Why not reviewers as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright. This is the Grimfest preview series. Welcome to the show, Aid Forsyth. Hello, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely my pleasure. This is my first year doing a Grimfest um, preview series. Um, I've done Frightfest ones for a while, um, and I don't know whether you can recognise my accent, but I'm actually from Manchester. Um, I, 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 look, no, no, I can't recognise. I, you know what? I lived in, I lived in the UK for two years, mm-hmm. and I still um, there's so many bloody accents over there, which is obviously very different. In Australia, we have one accent, um, uh, but over the and you know varying degrees of the accent as well too. But it. It yeah, it does my head in the amount of accents you've got in in that country. I had to, I did an acting job where I had to do a northern accent. Yeah. Um. Uh. Once and it was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. It was so specific and um and it's such an incredible kind of accent as well. But it was like yeah, I I was just fumbling my way through it. And to th- and to think as well, Abe, that if in terms of my accent, there's a there's a little bit of influence of Liverpool in mine because I grew up in a household. Where oh, my, I can hear that. My, when my mother was Manchester, my dad's Liverpool, and um, but them two cities are only thirty miles apart. Wow, that's crazy! <laughs> Absolutely I mean, look, crazy. Like you, uh, you know, you think of the size of Australia and the lack of 
sort of variant in the in the in the way people sound. And then you look at the size of even England and Scotland. You know, it's like the, mm, you can totally. buy the two it, and Wales. It's frigging tiny, isn't it? The fact that I don't know how we managed to do it. I think we mustn't have talked to each other for centuries. And then suddenly, right. there was a, there was some sort of breakdown of the walls, and everyone going, "You sound funny." <laughs> Whereas in Australia, it's just one huge country and just everyone with this very kind of just simple way of talking. <laughs> like it's um, Although I must say, every time I sort of travel, uh, you know, when I've spent sort of a, a, a long time sort of overseas for one reason or another, it's always, there's always something kind of comforting about hearing, hearing your own accent. So, but Australians are, it's a, it's a very particular type of, of um, very crass kind of very, drawly kind of way of speaking. And a lot of the time, too, when I'm speaking to people, I, you know, there's usually no problem um, talking to people in the UK, uh, yeah. people in the UK understanding us or even us understanding people in the UK because we as a, as a, as a nation grew up on so much British, uh, um, you know, Monty Python and um, Faulty Towers and so many things were, were from my upbringing and, and my parents' upbringing was from the UK. Mm. So, you know, we just we just understand and, and know the way you guys speak. And I've, I've never had a problem being understood by anyone in the UK. When I'm in America, however, it's completely different. I actually have to speak a lot more. I just have to be aware of how I speak and what I'm saying because so many times you'll be finishing a sentence and someone will just be staring at you <laughs> and you can tell they're going, oh, right, you have no clue what I just said. And that's from just kind of, you know, we just kind of run words in together like this. Or it's like you'll say things that just completely throw them. So it's nice to be able to speak to someone that can understand what I'm saying. Pardon? Hey! <laughs> now, now we've done the, uh, the geopolitics of language. Uh, let's move on to your film. Um, you're showing, you're closing Grimfest with uh, Little Monsters. So Correct. before we go into any details about the creating and making of that, do you want to give the listener a brief synopsis to what Little Monsters is all about? So Little Monsters is, look, it's many things. If I had to distill it to the quick pitch, mm. it is a kindergarten class caught in a zombie apocalypse and the kindergarten teacher has to stop them from being ripped apart by zombies but also has to stop their brains from being corrupted by all of the horrors around them. So she makes believe that the whole thing is a game uh, and leads them through all this carnage. That's, that's the quick pitch. I mean, there's, the movie is a lot of things. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a story about a, a character kind of growing up and, and finding their voice. It's a buddy movie. It's a romantic comedy in a way. It's a musical in a way. Um, you know, it's also sort of satirically sort of dealing with what we're going on around the world at the moment in, in its many different ways too. And, you know, it's a zombie, it's obviously it's a zombie movie. Um, it's, it's a whole sort of barrage of things, but the objective with me making this movie, uh, was to have people go, Oh, okay. It's a zombie comedy. It's one of those. I wanted them to then get to the end of the movie and go, Oh, I didn't know it was going to be that. Um, and that's also to do with, I didn't intend to make a, a zombie movie or a zombie comedy, I, this this all was uh, born out of my own life and experience. Well, I was going to say, and, let me, let uh, me, let, I was going to say, let me, yeah. let me start you at the start then, because that's that's the case. Because I think it's it's great because yeah, in 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 all the greatest ways that that genre does it, you've 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 given us the genre headline, and then when mm. we're watching it, 
you're you're giving us so much more than just a zombie film, and and that's to be applauded. And that's one of the many reasons why people should watch it when it's at Grimfest. Um, so for you then, what 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 was the kernel of the idea then that got you going that led to what is now Little Monsters? So I mean, the, the, basically, the movie is it's a, it's dedicated and a tribute to. Uh, my son, mm-hmm. uh, who's now eight years old, but was five years old when I wrote the first draft of this and, and had the idea. And then similarly, it's also uh, dedicated to kindergarten teachers or teachers, but specifically kindergarten teachers. But right. the idea came was born from my son. When he was born, he had some health conditions, um, one of which is that he has multiple life-threatening food allergies. Right, which uh, is a lot more common now than it was, you know. I think when we were growing up. But as a result of this, he had never been out of my care until he went to kindergarten. So it was a really terrifying thing for me as his father to have to hand him over to someone else's care um, because this person, this this teacher specifically, she was going to have to look after his very specific health needs, but also. I, for the first time, saw this person open up the world for my son too, outside of you know me, and um, and he got really lucky in that his his kindergarten teacher was amazing. Not only did she look out for him, she really did open up his eyes to the world and made him enthusiastic about the world. And all of a sudden, he was coming home telling me things that he'd learned. Mm. So I was able to then experience what he was learning. Um, in a in a completely different way, you know, through the eyes of a child. So I then found myself about halfway through his first year of kindergarten on a school excursion with him, 25 members of his class and his kindergarten teacher, and we went to a petting zoo. Um, and during this excursion, we were driving on this tractor train, which stopped um, halfway through its ride, and the, the driver of the tractor train got up to investigate something that was, like, lying down on the road. Mm. And it was just one of those ideas. It was like, what if that was a zombie? Um, and that idea of what if it was a zombie then sparked a whole uh, sort of train of different kind of things. As I've described with the synopsis, how would we keep these kids safe? Mm. Um, how, how would we stop them from being eaten? But actually, how would you stop them from being disturbed by everything as well? And I remember having the, the, the feeling that, you know what, if my son was stuck in a zombie apocalypse with a class full of kids, and I remember looking at his kindergarten teacher and going, I would be totally fine with her looking after him and managing him through a zombie apocalypse. So then that sort of resulted in, okay, make, you know, the, the kindergarten teacher, this specific kindergarten teacher, for me, seeing what she did with my son, she kind of felt like a, a, a superhero. Right. So then it was like, okay, I want to make a movie where the kindergarten teacher is is the superhero. But at the same time, still, you know, uh, try and bring as many things that my son has taught me about the world through having him into it. So it is a complete, like I said, it's it's dedicated to kindergarten teachers, but also it's a it's a love letter to my son and it's everything that he's taught me about the world, but just put in in the most unconventional and and you know kind of fucked up ways and a lot of the time as well too. So it's um um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of it in a in no a- that's brilliant because it's like it's it's the it's it's that wonderful thing I I um I don't know if you've ever seen there's there's a comedy skit that's that's quite famous now Silent One by the, the, do you know the comedian Dave Allen the Irish comedian from the seventies. 
I don't. No. Right, so, so his fam- he's got a famous gag that still gets played on the TV to this day, which is, and it's so simple, it's, um, it's a guy walking past the car and he sees £10 on the floor. And the £10 turns out to be stuck under the tyre of the car and it's just a man trying to get £10 that he can't get because it's unobtainable. Mm. And the guy, the guy, I interviewed the guy that wrote that gag back in the 70s and he said, he said, I literally looked out the bus window and I thought, what if a tenor was stuck under that car? And he said, I never, th- he said, he said, I never thought to this day I'd still be getting residuals. <laughs> off, off what was, what was like a glance out the bus window. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. I mean, like you're looking, you, you're constantly, as, as a writer particularly, you're constantly looking for an idea for something that, you know, and you're, and you're trying to think about, oh, okay, what if I did something in this genre, or what if I did something, okay, or what, you know, when you see something on the news, you go, oh, what, is that a movie, or is that a story? And when I was writing, before I started writing Little Monsters, I had done two drafts of the script of something else, which is never going to be made. Right. Um, and I was beating my head against the wall because it just wasn't working. It was one of those things that, that you know, the quick pitch of it sounded okay, but it wasn't actually there wasn't anything that I wanted to say about where I was in yeah. my life that I could put into that script. Mm. And as a result of which I was just running into all these, these um, roadblocks with it and try and my producer on little monsters, um, one of the producers, you know, who, who did my last film, you know, she was trying to sort of help me through it and it just wasn't working. And then when I was sort of like towards the end of the, of the second draft of this script, that's when I went on the kindergarten excursion and it was literally that thing of, okay, what if that was a zombie? That all of a sudden, mm. about sort of 10 things just locked into place and was like, oh, okay, this, I've, I've actually got something to say now. And my own experience or what my son has taught me is driving the plot rather than, rather than the other way around, rather than a plot driving mm. sort of character stuff. So it was a, that's what's so infuriating about, about, doing this as a job you just kind of need to be constantly open and for, for anything but also you know just trusting that there will be something eventually that comes along yeah trust trusting something coming along is is maybe the killer of it all because because it isn't coming and for the benefit of the listener we were having a chat about something similar before we started recording it is there is there is nothing more soul destroying than than looking at a blinking cursor or mm. writing nonsensical sentences and i think it was i listened to um scott frank's bafta lecture bafta masterclass oh, lecture. I've, I've, I've listened to that too yeah that's and, fantastic and, and, and when he said every time he starts a screenplay he's scared of the blinking cursor i was like oh okay well if he is then i can then it's perfectly valid for me to be scared of it you know, it's yeah. almost like you, yeah, need, yeah. you almost need to hear it from someone you admire to understand that it's normal. Um, because I think yeah. I think there's too many people who go around, I think it's myth-making, to be honest with you, with this whole, I get up at six and I do six hours on one story, then I have, have, have some gruel, and then I do six hours on another story, <laughs> and that's what I do until my eyes bleed. And I'm like, really? Because it doesn't seem to yeah. work like that for anybody that I know. And it and it's almost can sometimes make it look like, you know, let's be honest, that the, the, the writer's not doing anything. Um, but in terms, of, in terms of those constraints, so you, you're thinking of this, if the inspiration is the, the, the way that the kindergarten teacher was able to respond positively to how, you know, you giving up care to your, your child and then putting your trust in somebody else, but also a love letter to, you, to what your kid has taught you. Yeah, those constraints, and then trying to translate that into drama with zomb- with a zombie apocalypse happening. Um, how do you how did you find the storytelling challenges of 
being true to what you wanted it to be about, i.e. the love letter to your son and, 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 and props to the teacher, but also giving us a damn funny, gory, zombie um, film. Look, it was, all, it was all about finding who the characters were. Mm. So, so the, look, the, the kindergarten teacher, that was pretty obvious from, from yeah. the beginning because, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, but then it was about, okay, well, who is the, who is the person that is going to have to go, who is the character that is going to have to um, learn from the experience of having a child but also encountering this kindergarten teacher as well? And I actually looked back to um, how I felt I was before I found out I was going to be a father. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I, I'm a father. I'm not with um, uh, my son's mother and I aren't together. We did used to be at one stage, but we're not together anymore. Right. Um, but uh, I remember... Okay, so before I had a child, I was like, as I'm sure is extremely common, sort of grappling with whether I was going to be able to provide for you know a child properly uh financially emotionally you know it's, it's something that you want to keep putting off as long as you can because you you just feel like you know there's all this stuff that you need to get done all of those cliches mm. but i do remember when my son was born and he was you know uh, it wasn't a conventional birth um but i do remember um grappling with all of this stuff right up until i saw my son in person for the first time and right. it was literally looking at him uh, in the emergency sort of delivery uh, ward and it was just like oh what yeah I've just never had any a single thought like that ever again and my total my life has changed completely in terms of just just initially providing for him and making sure he has all the care that he needed but then it became about oh my god everything that he's giving me and he's teaching me about the world like and and you know making me have profound feelings and and understandings, you know, which which change as he's getting older. So, so I was like, okay, well, how can I how can I? I so it was then about coming up with a character that represented that, um, and the character that character manifested into a type of kind of man child character that that had been with a long term girlfriend who uh, they were you know fighting, they're spending their entire relationship fighting because they've been together for too long and mm. they need to have a kid but he doesn't want to have a kid and she's ready to grow she has grown up and he hasn't and then through their breakup um he then finds himself having to spend time with his five-year-old nephew so yeah. he's thrust into this sort of situation where all of a sudden he's dealing with a child he's been trying to avoid children but now he's dealing with a child and then that child takes him into the world of the kindergarten teacher who initially he just you know finds really attractive in a kind of a physical sense but then, you know, they find themselves in an extreme situation where all of a sudden, uh, you know, she's not only protecting the children, she's actually protecting him. And then through his encounter with her and his nephew, all of a sudden he's actually stepping up for the first time. So, so that was it, was, it was taking those kind of ideas and then finding a way of putting them into characters to, to bring that to life. And, you know, there's something that I noticed after I had my son, and he was, you know, any time from when he was like three onwards, but particularly around the age when they're a toddler, I always laughed when every time that my son and I would be out walking in a park or, you know, uh, down the street, and you'd see uh, a couple walking towards us, you know, the, a, a guy and a girl, and it was the same, I've lost count of him at, at the times that I, I saw this exact same thing, you'd see the woman looking at the cute little toddler and like, 
wanting to engage with the toddler. And you'd see the guy just trying to pretend that that toddler didn't exist. So you would see this this continual kind of variation on that same thing. And that's, I think, kind of influenced the character of Dave in Little Monsters as well. It's a very particular male trait at a very particular age. And, and I would always be a bit of an asshole about it too. I would always let Spike, my son, sort of go over or I'd interact with the woman and, and Spike just to actually enjoy the discomfort of the boyfriend that would rather be anywhere else than there. So so have you so thinking of how much how much of your real life has sort of influenced this uh, this film in terms of story and character. So you've not been in a rock band then? I've not been in a rock band. I've not been a failed musician. Look, there's 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 about there's there's a number of very key things that this character is that I'm not, or this character does that I haven't done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One one of which is probably without without spoiling what it is. One of which that I did have to say to an audience afterwards. I have ne- I just need to be clear. I have never done this. <laughs> so, uh, but that was kind of the point too. Was like, okay, we'll take this type of male character um, and push it to the extreme. And 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 to a point where it's um it's so wrong, but still try and keep it entertaining, knowing that that character is going to actually change, and everything that that character saying at the beginning of the movie, he's going to be acting in a totally different way at the end of it. But that's also where the character that Josh Gad plays too. There's a, there's another character that comes in at the halfway point and is way worse um, than than you know that that. Yeah, I mean Alex, Alexander England's character Dave is. Is an interesting sort of case of point because because like you say he's he's got a journey he's going on and I thought what you what you did brilliantly in, in the film is you you held back on the kind of instantaneous change that so often sort of blights the story of the kind of the good and the bad the good and the bad in us all and just yeah. and just went I'm going to keep him at eleven for as long as I can because he's not seeing he's, he can't see beyond the end of his nose. Until it's even nearer than the end of his nose, you know. The yes, rest yeah, of the yeah, and I yeah. thought that was a really clever part of how the story evolved. Is that, I mean, I mean, the, in 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 the initial setup, I mean, I won't go into details about it, but just the the waking up a child in the middle of the night to go and do a bit of fun with him was was just inspired as a as a. But it, it, it and, and obviously children go, oh okay, it's my uncle. I'll uh, I'll I'll do, oh, yeah. I'll do what my uncle says. It's like, the kid's not going, oh let me sleep. I've got things to do. It's like, oh uncle wants me to do something, so I'll do it. And it was, and then and then it's sort of, you know, what what he sees and what he doesn't see doesn't seem to bother him because no. the, the man child's living in the the goal that he set out to do, which was nothing to do with the kid. The kid was the prop, and and obviously that that that. Distance between him emotionally and his and his nephew obviously is one of the things to change. Now I should probably it'd be, it'd be remiss to say that the uh, your your um, kindergarten teacher is uh, some inspired casting if ever there was one. Um, yes, almost like one of the actors of the moment, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, um, obviously, Oz, Twelve Years a Slave, Black Panther, etc., etc. So. How did you get Lupita <laughs> in a zombie in a zombie comedy? I I, I I never I never cease to enjoy people saying how how the hell did that happen? Because <laughs> it was it was one of those look, the 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 quick version of the story is we were um we just started pre production. We had seven weeks of pre production. Mm-hmm. Um 
we we had a US producing partners so on on this movie. We're an Australian uh, US co-production, right? Uh, but the movie was made in Australia. Obviously, is set in Australia. Um, but we had US producing partners, and uh, we had a US casting agent who we'd brought on to cast the role of Miss Caroline and Teddy McGiggle. Um, and when it came to Miss Caroline, obviously for me, actually, the most important role to get right uh, because of what this movie is about and what this movie says, we had a list of seven or eight uh, people that would have been really good in, in this role, no yeah. question. And we all felt confident that we were going to get one of them. Um, but the casting agent then said at the end of this casting call, but to me, now's the time. You've still got a little bit of time up your sleeve, hmm. uh, you know, like one or two weeks. So now's the time if you just want to take an un, what you think is an unrealistic swing for the fences in getting someone and getting your perfect person for this role, now's the time to do it. So they asked who that would be, and for me it was always Lapita. Lapita, um, uh, I mean, we, we've all now seen all the work that she's done. I was yeah, just yeah. a massive fan of 12 Years a Slave. I'm a mm. big fan of Steve McQueen, but, but particularly Lapita in that movie, I just was mind-blowing, her performance in that. Um, and because of how everything that she does, she's just so truthful. She, there's, there's not a false note of how she approaches anything. Hmm. So for me, it was, it was Lapita. And you know, when I sort of said that, I mean, everyone agreed that, oh, my God, she would be amazing. But also, out of our five producers, I think the majority of them said, well, there's no way that this is ever going to happen. <laughs> so we, but we thought, okay, well, let's just, let's just take the shot. I happen to be um, with the same agency, uh, US agency, as Lapita. Not with the same agent, but, but with the same agency. So that at least ensured that the script got on, uh, on her agent's desk, not necessarily meaning that it would go forward to Lapita. It just so happened that Lapita had said to her agent that she was looking for something uh, unconventional and, and she was wanting to get into comedy. And then I think this oh, script okay. was put in front of it put in front of Lapita as like, well, it doesn't get more unconventional than this. And look, she read the script and she just, there was just a number of things in the script that she connected to. And like I said, it wasn't like this script was going to her going, hey, it's a zombie comedy and it's going to shoot in Australia. It was put to her going, hey, this is actually a movie about this. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. actually about it's, you know, you get to be a kindergarten teacher that does this, but it's a movie about childhood and what children can teach us and blah, 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 and all these things. Within, within 24 hours, she'd read it and, and she'd expressed her interest, which meant that, you know, then I had to have a conversation with her. She and I had like a, a couple of hours on Skype talking. She watched my previous film. Um, at the end of this uh, very long Skype conversation, I remember when we hung up, just... It felt like she was in. She didn't say as much on the call, but it really, you know, it, it couldn't have gone better, I thought, at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, next thing you know, we wake up, you know, uh, the next morning and we'd had word from her agent and her people that she wanted to do it. So she was, she was attached. And it was a really key moment. That moment was a really key moment, I think, for everyone involved in the production because... Can I, can I just interrupt you there, Tori, just, just to give yeah. us a sense of touch. So you, you had this kind of advice that was, you've got a little bit, of, you've got a cushion of time here, swing for the fences. Yeah. So from when yeah. you were said swing, when somebody said to you swing for the fences to she signed up, what was the time? How long did that take? It was probably about four days. Shit off. So, no. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. So <laughs> That's amazing.
and it was it was just it was one of those yeah it look it, it was a dream come true because yeah. but also i mean she and i connected because i i my previous career was an actor i've spent a lot a lot of my sort of time working as an actor my father is an actor and mm-hmm. has been an actor his entire life um so you know it's I didn't write this script because I wanted to make, you know, a dumb zombie comedy. I wanted to, you know, make something that was, you know, a- about these characters and 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 this situation that these characters find themselves in. And and there's some very key things for for the character of Dave and the character of Miss Caroline that I really wanted to get in and kind of explore and you know, luckily she really responded to to those things and her coming on board for all of us was a real kind of uh, moment of going, yeah, cool. This is exactly the movie that I said that I wanted to make. And now this just affirms that this is what we're going to do. Mm. Um, so it was a, um, but, but yeah, let's get this straight. It, it was still completely unbelievable and bizarre for me at that point as well. Given you admire her so much. And then, so when you get, when you get into the phase of shooting the movie and obviously you've imagined Miss Caroline on the page um, from the get-go, based on your experience, you know, influenced strongly by your experiences of your son's kindergarten teacher. But given everything that was on the page and what you knew and the conversations you just had, what 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 did Lupita bring to the character that that, that you weren't expecting? That was just a joy to see. Well, look, I mean, I, I you know the reason that I thought of her initially and wanted her was how just how truthfully that she approaches her characters and how there's not, there's not a false note in anything that she does. So I knew that she was going to be able to, to um, take all the very important things uh, and emotions that that character sort of has and sort of deliver them in a really real way. I also knew from, you know, I could tell from the work that I'd seen her do and just from speaking to her on the Skype conversation as well, how seriously she takes her work. And, mm. you know, she, she'd never played the ukulele before. She learned how to play the ukulele for this movie. She'd never sung before as well. And, and those are two very key parts of the character. Um, uh, and also she, she had no experience of what it was to be a kindergarten teacher, but she, when she got to Australia, she started working with an Australian kindergarten teacher to actually learn the the very specific Australian system of what it means to be a kindergarten teacher. So I knew that, you know, my gut told me that when it came time to working on set with the 11 five-year-old kids that we had in this movie, that she would actually be able to step up and Mm. be their kindergarten teacher and lead them through the movie. And this was the biggest challenge of the movie and certainly something that, you know, I made 100% clear to her when I was Skyping with her. We're going into uncharted territory, making a movie with 11 five-year-olds. I, and I was adamant that I wanted these kids to be five years old. They couldn't be six. They couldn't be seven. There's a huge difference between a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Yeah. So it was like, so we're, we're needing to capture what it is that these kids are at that age, which means that we need to protect them the same way that Miss Caroline protects them from the zombies in the movie. We actually need to protect them as well so that when they're on camera, they're just being themselves. And I, that, the challenge for me was finding kids that, 
could, you know, in the case of the lead kids, sort of play characters, but was also a variation on who they were. And the rest of the kids were actually just who they were. And then I was shaping the characters around them. So I needed a partner in crime to be able to sort of help us all get through this. And the most important piece of that puzzle was the kindergarten teacher, was Miss Caroline, because mm. she was actually going to be their kindergarten teacher throughout the course of the shoot. So I think that that um that particular challenge really appealed to Lupita. Mm. And it was that was, you know, her and I and, you know, other very key members of the cast and crew working out how that was actually going to come to fruition. And that was the thing right up until the end of the shoot that was like the bit the hardest challenge of it and and, and uh, being completely honest we didn't know we didn't know if we were going to be able to to get it so so many people said that we, it wouldn't be possible what so so in in the preparation people saying look you know cover your ass here don't don't be so don't go so junior with the kids as it were be oh yeah 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 and if you look at a lot of movies that are about kindergarten children <laughs> um they tend to be older and you can tell that they're older i mean well at least I can tell that they're older because I had a kid who was mm. in kindergarten. Um, the best, the best um, film that I saw in preparation for it was uh, actually Kindergarten Cop, the Ivan Reitman, Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Mm. Um, and but still, when I watched that, I was like, I can see the tricks that they're doing to make this work. And that was like, for instance, one of the things that I really wanted to do was to try and capture the kids as much as possible in. Uh, wide shots in shots of them as a group rather than just going in for close-ups right um so that was uh, i mean that was an added challenge that we put on top of it but one thing that we <coughs> built into the, the shoot and into the schedule was we shot the movie chronologically so okay. as far as the kids were concerned their story actually played out the same way it does in is the that movie. something so you, is that something you normally do or is that because of the challenge of oh no not, not at all no no, it's not. Normally, you're you're shooting in whatever order is the most sort of cost and time effective for making the movie. But mm. but I knew that we needed to because we were capturing these kids' reactions, and I was wanting to capture them as they were happening for the first time. And with you know, we had to train the kids up to not be scared of when they see a zombie in makeup and understand that it's all make believe. That's an entirely different thing. Mm. But part of the uh, the point of making this movie capturing these reactions from their kids was actually letting the story play out in front of them so they discovered things as they were happening you know as the story evolved so the first time that the kids worked in a group they were in Miss Caroline's class and Miss Caroline was teaching them and they were all there together and you know sort of finger painting and doing all that sort of stuff next thing you know we're all on a bus and we're going to this petting zoo and the bus breaks down and, and all of a sudden this character is going to sing us a song then we're at the petting zoo and then we get a couple of days of patting all the animals and having fun. Next thing you know, we're driving on a tractor train and, oh, kids, guess what? Today we're going to see one of the zombies today. Today's the first day that we're going to see a zombie. But don't worry, Miss Carolyn's going to look after you during this. So, And then it's like, now there's going to be 50 zombies today, but don't worry, Miss Caroline's going to talk you all through it. So it just kind of kept progressing like that. And, and, and also, and, also you have, I think one of the, I can't which, I think it might have been Felix said it, but um, where he, where, which is a very like a very five year old thing to say, which is well, of course I'm going to do it. Teacher said to do it. Yeah, my teacher told me to do it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I have to do. It. I have to do what she says. Yeah. Which I think is that thing so, you're talking about, isn't it? When when kids get to seven, they begin to they begin to start going the word the, the word no and stubborn become part of their vernacular. Don't yes, they? completely. And it's just 
I mean, I look at, you know, we, I wrote this movie when my son was five um, and in kindergarten, you know, I filmed it a year later um, and now he's eight years old and I just, I, there's, I just can't remember him at five. I mean, I look at pictures of him at five, um, <laughs> but I look at this, you know, I've now got a child that, that I have proper conversations with and he's now telling me all sorts of stuff that he's sort of learned and, and the, you know, way he's figuring out the world where it's like, wow you going to kindergarten and going out into the world now is sort of you're you're becoming your own person now mm. and you've got your own personality which has been forming away from me as much as I influence it it's still forming away from me but at five they're still just they need guidance and they need to be told what to do and and it's um so yeah it was a really important thing for me to have kids that actually were that age and that we were setting up the shoot to capture their spontaneity and the way that they were reacting to what was happening in front of them. But but let, let me get this completely straight. It was also the hardest fucking thing any of us had gone through. It was awful. <laughs> like, it was really, really difficult. I was going to say, you've kind, of, you've kind of got scripted material, plus in a way you're accepting you want to catch, capture the improv of a kid that doesn't know it's improv Yes. Yes, <laughs> completely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of a very kind of meta kind of interesting yeah. kind of going on but it was also it was also incredibly rewarding for 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 all all of us you know myself lapita josh alexander everyone but also the crew you know it was like i said to the crew at the beginning of the shoot that we need to preserve um when these kids walk on set Mm. and then when they walk off that time that they're on set that's their time and we're in their world and and if we can preserve that they're going to give us stuff that we would never be able to conceive or write or, 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 you know, or design. And Lupita and I had a saying, which we came up with in rehearsals with these kids. Mm. And it was a survival. It started as a survival mechanism, but then ended up becoming something which influenced everyone on the crew. And, and initially to just help Lupita and I get through it, it was, um, uh, uh, follow the truth, embrace the chaos. So when when everything starts falling like completely out of line, don't fight it and try and push it back to where it should be. Just go with it and look for the thing, look for the truth in the chaos. Mm. And sure enough, that was the thing that that you know the cast, um, but also you know my sort of the, the camera team, uh, director of photography, and all of us were able to just go, okay, we're not going to get what we thought we were going to get. So let's just keep following what what it is. And we got so much material from just capturing what they were doing rather than trying to sort of, you know, force them into doing it. Abe, how much do you think your background as an actor, you know, becoming a director, gave you a semblance of confidence that 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 because because that what 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 Lapita said there sounds like a sort of like a mantra you might expect at a sort of acting workshop you know this is how to do it just remember Mm. this out of the you know the truth will come out of the chaos but the I guess your own experience of being in adult versions of let's go with the flow and you saw the good results I suppose um then you'll see you you know the risk is we'll get the gold we want (laughs) yes yeah we won't get it we won't get it when we force it no, com- com- completely, and it's that, it's that really tricky. It's that really tricky balancing act of of making sure you are actually getting enough coverage and enough stuff you need to tell you know the, the story and to complete the scene, but also just just knowing that just having trust that if you just kind of keep following it, 
then every now and again you will be able to kind of bend it into where you want it to go. Mm. Look, I certainly, you know, I've done a lot of work as an actor, which helped. I've also directed commercial. When I found out I was going to be a father, I started directing television commercials as a way of supplementing my filmmaking habit, yeah. um, but also being able to provide for a family. But a good result of that, a byproduct of that, was I did a lot of commercials with children. So I got to know what it was like to work with kids as well. And the best thing about working with children is they give you completely unfiltered uh, innocence and reactions to things that the best actor can't actually sort of access in the same way they can. Mm. So I, I, I did know that if we could just set up this environment and sort of capture what they are like at that age, that would pay dividends then later on when we were you know, editing the movie and, and, and finishing it. Now, one of one of the th one of the things to be to be very much applauded about about uh, monsters is your efficiency of getting us through what where the zombies come from, what the zombies are about. <laughs> There's no you've, you've not made it complicated. There's no real like no. In, and, and and I guess the the obvious comparison, different way of doing it, but they achieve the same thing is um, in Shaun of the Dead. There's no there's no real oh, sort yeah. of there's no real nobody's scratching the head to go how did this happen. Everyone obviously quite naturally moves into this is happening, this is real, let's get on with it. But the way you show us in the film is with just a li li little bit of information that just helps kick it along. You don't, it's not dwell on it, but we understand quite quickly what's happened and then we can focus on the dilemma of the kids, the kids and the adults who were, who were, who were stranded. Think, well, I think this is one of the advantages of uh, zombies at this point that we're at too, which is, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of reached saturation point with the zombies as a device, but as a result of which is like you don't really need to explain them. That's what that's that was actually one of the really appealing things for me about making a zombie movie. It was like you know you can and you can you know we have a, a throwaway line in there at one point about someone asking whether they're the fast ones or the slow ones. Mm. It's like that's what you just need the basic information to go. Okay, cool, and I, I know what we're dealing with. Um, and look, and it was also I we we experiment experimented a lot with the uh, with the cut too. Whether we started with uh, our first what what is kind of usual with um, zombie movies. Um, I'm not including Shaun of the Dead because I do, I do think Shaun of the Dead is the high watermark of zombie comedies, as mm. I'm sure the majority of, of the population uh, does as well too. But it's become a horror film convention that you start with a horrific scene before you then get into the plot and then the horror starts coming back. And for a while we experimented with opening the movie with, you know, this, this American military sort of testing place um, and this problem that happens there, which eventually sort of, you know, infests uh, the story of little monsters. Hmm. And, and it just, it just didn't work. Like it just kind of felt like we were doing it because it felt like you had to do it because because genre convention says this is what you have to do. Hmm. And then we tried we tried a version of the cut where it was like, okay, let's just bring the zombies in like um, minute twenty one of the movie, um, and. It, it actually really ended up helping the story so much better because people go into this movie going, oh, yeah, it's a zombie. It's a movie with zombies in it. And then the movie starts and there's no zombies in it. And then that just continues and you can just get lost in the story of, like, Dave and Felix and Miss Caroline. And then when it does come in, you go, oh, fuck, yeah, that's right. I forgot it was a zombie movie. Mm. So, and that it actually ended up helping the story so much better because they were actually invested in the characters as characters before they found themselves kind of dragged into this completely different genre.
Yeah, and 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 the other thing, I, I was talking to Chelsea um, Starburst who did, who did Satanic Panic, which is also playing at I, Grimfest. Yeah, yeah. And obviously another, an, a, again, a comedy horror. And one of the things about that that mix of genre is, from a from a filmmaking point of view, both comedy and horror rely on timing, but horror okay. timing and comedy timing are not syncopated, are they not? They're very they're very they're very divergent, as in when it's funny and when it's scary. Um, they're yeah. both evoking emotion, but obviously they need they rely on different setups and payoffs to get you to the laugh or the scare. So, in terms of that, how did you how did you balance? I guess the rhythm of the film plus plus the the ability to direct the horror moment, but then also direct the comedy. I mean, I think one of the biggest compliments I can pay your film is that not only do these people not know they're in a film, they don't know they're in a comedy, and they don't know they're in a horror film as well. It's like <laughs> they, they, it feels it all feels very straight, and they're very and they're reacting to the absurdity, which is what lends the humour, and then the horror is what scares you. Well, yeah. Look, I think I think that exactly what you said. That is the when the zombies first arrive in this movie, it's it's uh, kind of we're making gags and it's kind of fun and funny and they're slow moving and um, uh, you know we're playing on the uh, the folklore of zombies and the mm. expectations of what a zombie is. Um, it was very key for me though to make the one sequence that actually is very dramatic in this movie, which is sort of around a character going into anaphylactic shock, mm. um, that that was the, and that, you know, that there needs to be then at that moment, a run for, to retrieve an EpiPen to be able to administer to this character, um, before they die. It was mm. like, that for me was the, the tonal shift at the midway point of the movie where you're going, okay, there is actually real danger here. And for me, it was actually about making that moment based around something that is real, mm. even though the zombies are still very much involved in that sequence and, and are the obstacle standing in the way of this person's life being saved. But I, I felt like, and look, obviously it's, it's coming from my own personal experience in a, mm. in a very real way too. There's a lot of, you know, my, my fears are tied up in this sequence. But I was like, I just wanted that to be the moment to say to the audience, anything can happen. And there are, even though this is, you know, it's fun and it's a comedy and there's, it's like, no, there are real world stakes at play here as well. Mm. So, and so that was, a, that was a signal to the audience of going, just, just, we've had a laugh up until now, but just so you know, it could go in any direction. But it's also a key turning point for Dave as a character as well. And, and that's the, the beginning of him really starting to, uh, I guess, become the new version of, of himself too. So, um, so yeah, for me, it was actually about, it's less about making the zombies scary, but it's actually about making something else scary that the zombies yeah, are cause, cause in, involved Because in, in a way, you you give us the character of, um, of Teddy McGiggle, played by Josh Gad, mm. as more the antagonist than the zombies in some senses to the drama. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's oh, no, so, he's much more he's much more dangerous to the kids than the zombies are. So in a sense, so where's I mean, just to give give that character for, for those that haven't seen the film yet, it's it's he's a he's a famous TV presenter for kids, and yeah, he, when the camera's he, off him, he's he's maybe not as nice he, as, as a kids TV presenter <laughs> should. Completely, and there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of you know interestingly you know I, I wrote that character um, in 2016 I started to write that character, mm. but then you know when we were shooting the movie that's when the, you know the whole Harvey Weinstein and Me Too and everything started coming up and I was like well yeah this is kind of this character also represents that mm. as well too you know he's a 
He's a he's the, the world's most famous children's entertainer, um, but he's he's not maybe the happiest person. You know, uh, does, doesn't have the he didn't have the career that he wanted to have. He's hugely famous, so he's got a lot of demons, and he's going to take those out. And uh, uh, instead of dealing with them, he's going to take them out on other people. And so, yeah, that was also the point of that character. Whereas, like this, they for you know the majority of the movie, Miss Caroline and her kids find themselves stuck in this uh, souvenir shop in the middle of this petting zoo surrounded by zombies, but there's also a bigger monster stuck in the souvenir shop with them. Then, and so you're meant to be going, well, are the kids better off outside fending for themselves or are they better off, you know, in this place with this, this absolute monster? Now for a horror film, it's, it's a uh, little monsters is a very sunny film. Um, yes. The only sunny horror film I've seen of late is Midsummer, which is a tad darker, but again, it's interesting to watch horror films which aren't about dark, other than dark personalities, obviously. That, that was a, yeah. So, what was your conversation with? And is, is do I pronounce it Lachlan or La, how do you pronounce oh, it? Oh, Lachlan, Lachlan Milne. Yeah, Lachlan, yeah, yeah. Lachlan Milne. What was your conversations yeah. with him about the look and feel you were um, you were wanting to get in terms of obviously bright sunshine is beautiful, but it doesn't normally walk hand in hand with horror. Yeah. Look, we, um, we'd had the benefit of working together on my previous film, which mm-hmm. was a comedy set during a race riot, a really horrific real race riot that happened here in Sydney in 2007. Right. Um, and that was a movie that we'd actually... Uh, it, it, that was about the Middle Eastern community and this very particular Anglo community in Australia having a riot on the beach. Um, and the movie took place in the 24 hours after the riot where there was this retaliation mission with cars from the beach suburb and cars from the western suburbs with the Middle Eastern community were sort of driving around looking to, to bump into each other to beat the shit out of each other. Mm. So that movie was filmed <clears throat> at night. I mean, we 80% of our shoot was a night shoot on that. And it was a very, like, it was a comedy, but it was also, it ended in a very bleak and very dark way, um, thematically and literally uh, as well. Um, and to be honest, I, I'm extremely proud of that movie. It was a very difficult movie to make. We had a lot of issues here in Australia because it was a real fuck you to uh, to a certain type of behaviour in, mm. in Australia. Um, uh, you know, and so we were we were embraced by certain members of the community and, and you know, I got death threats from other members of the community, um, uh, mainly sort of uh, Anglo uh, people that, that, you know, you can't dare call them racist because they're not racist. Um, so anyway, but that's a, that's a, that's a whole nother, another story. But yeah. ultimately, ultimately, that was a very pessimistic, it ended in a very pessimistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I toured uh, the, the you know uh, film festivals with that movie, it was like at the end of the movie, walking out there, and it was like you know, people had been hit in the face with a sledgehammer. So so for this movie, this I actually wanted to make something that was a much more optimistic. Ultimately, it's much more optimistic. I mean, it literally ends on a song. But, you know, there was so much of my, you know, what my son had taught me sort of put into this movie. Um, and there's so much of what Miss Caroline teaches uh, the character of Dave, but also, you know, the audience gets to experience through through the way that she is. Not that she doesn't have her own demons and isn't complicated in, in her own way as well, too. But, but for me, I wanted to make something that was ultimately optimistic. So... So that influenced, you know, Lockie and my approach with with how we shot it. It, it mm. influenced the production. Sam Hobbs, the production designer, and I, Leon Krasenstein, the the costume designer. 
we took an approach that this isn't a movie set in the real world. It is about, you know, it's a metaphor for real world issues, but we want to make this kind of fun. We want to give it a bit of character. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, we've sort of designed it in a sort of slightly exaggerated kind of pop sort of style. Mm. And that's why, you know, Teddy the Giggle has the bright green polka dot suit. Miss Carolyn has the, the, you know, the beautiful yellow sort of summery dress, which gets completely covered in blood. Um, you know, Dave, Dave's sort of character and his look evolves from the course of the movie as well. Um, so it was actually just about giving it a sense of fun and a sense of playfulness. And, and if anything, um, uh, that, and, and it's sort of tricky when you sort of start to get into that world too, because it's like, if you have that sort of world, you need to have performances that every now and again are going to ground it in a real way. Mm. So the audience can kind of, you know, make the real world comparisons. You can't have everyone just be completely over the top if you're giving <laughs> it that kind of look. So it was a really fucking tricky balance. And it was something that we were sort of grappling with right up until we locked off the movie. But, but look, I just wanted to, especially after our last movie, Down Under, um, which a lot of the crew returned to, yeah. to work on Little Monsters. It was like, just actually want to make something that's that's fun and just makes people I was laugh. Gonna say, just, I was going to say, interesting, what you were saying earlier and what you just said now about grounding the film, it's almost like that gamble you took on getting the real reactions from the kids as part of your drama is almost like every time you capture that, every time you capture that, that's where the movie grounds itself because it is yeah, about completely. the magic and the horror of kids being trapped in a zombie apocalypse. Not completely. And, and and it was all and, and like no 100 percent and and also for me the really interesting comparison was the character of Dave the character of Teddy McGiggle mm. do some horrific things in in this movie you know at a certain point Teddy McGiggle takes over and it's much worse than than anything Dave's ever done but mm. it was really important for me to make that comparison between the worst of human behaviour and the best of, of, of child, childhood and the way children perceive the yeah, world. Yeah, kind of Ted, Teddy's, Teddy's no hope, whereas you've always got the feeling that there was hope with Dave. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, But it was like but the only way to do that was, and I, mean, I don't want to give away any of the extreme <laughs> of sort of gags that, that these characters do, but the only way you can get away with, you know, the character of Dave doing something completely fucked up is in the next scene you see a whole bus full of children singing a Taylor Swift song being led by Miss Carolyn. So, you know, it's just that, it's just that, comp- and, and that for me was the interesting thing to say with this movie too, which is the, at what point do we as adults just start living in our own heads and becoming completely fucked up? Because if you spend some time with a child or talk to a child, you're like, yeah, the fucking, why isn't the world that simple? It, it, it could be. Mm. But when we get older, we just fuck everything up. Well, I think we've got a really macro example going on right now, haven't we, with the UN summit and Greta Thunberg's visit. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, talk about triggering everybody over the age of 65 um, <laughs> with, with um, you know, the, the, the age-old trope of kids don't get involved with politics and now kids are involved in politics. What does she know? She's only 16. And I've now... Yeah. I've seen probably the worst thing, and I can't remember who said it, who's tweeted it now, but we had last week's thing where it's, She's got hair plaited like a Nazi, therefore she's a Nazi, which is a kind of the most insane reasoning as to why we should distrust her. Um, somebody made the comparison that she's 16, and yet we basically had to go at Epstein for buying 16-year-old pro- prostitutes. So if we're going to take her politics seriously, then maybe we shouldn't feel so bad about Epstein. You're like, what fucking world are we in oh. where that's the reason? Oh, my God. 
This is the been this is the problem with you know where we're at right now with just Twitter and things like this too, mm. where it's just like people have a stupid thought now and then it's just out into the world. You know, there was a time when you know if people had to write a letter, they had to take the time to like form <laughs> some a sentence properly and sit down and write a letter, go to the post office, put a stamp on it and post it, and then it got sent somewhere where people actually had to kind of read it like an editor and then put it out into the world. Like at least that would un- like filter through all of the fucking mm. bullshit, but when just now at this point where it's like it's 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 crazy. Like it's and and she has much more of a right to, in my opinion, to be saying what she's saying about the state of the world because she's going to have to live in this world. No, yeah, no. Anyone this... over sixty-five is not going to be around that much longer. You know, mm. like these kids, they're, they're they're stuck with what we've left them. So, yes, we should listen to them. Indeed. I'm going to bring you back to your film because I, 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 I could talk yeah, about this. We as, could, yeah, we could talk about this a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, So, one final thing then. In terms of the process of what you went through on all the ideas and chances you took to deliver it, what was then the discovery you made in the edit that pleased you most about what you were able to do with what you'd made? <laughs> um well, I can say without any doubt that um, the edit of this movie was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And you know, okay. we had a we had a similar thing with my last movie um, as well. And I've come to realise that because of the tone in in which I've I've been working, um, it's it's a very it, it, it either sinks or swims in the edit, and that means that you actually you have, really have to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in and be prepared that it's going to get it's going to get worse mm. for the majority of the time and then all of a sudden it's going to get better and look we went through multiple test screenings um here in Australia but also we ended up doing a lot of um our edit in LA as well too really? um I had two editors working on the movie each brought something to the movie that made it what it is um uh, and I couldn't have done it without either of them but it really was that the balance that I was talking about before about the worst of human behavior and the best of what a kid can teach us. Mm. That was a real tightrope right up to the last moment. Like, you know, just for example, Teddy McGiggle as a character. And the reason why I love working with Josh as much as I love working with Lapita, they're very similar in that they're fearless mm. um, in their approach to character uh, and their understanding of a character. And obviously, the character of Teddy McGiggle is just, he is the worst human being you could imagine sort of brought to life. Josh gave us so much material to work with um, and so much hilarious stuff of his ended up on the cutting room floor, but it ended up on the cutting room floor ultimately because like it was, there would always just be that thing where we'd be, with his character, we would go, Oh shit, we just lost the entire audience. Like, and it would oh, just really? it came down. Oh god, yeah, and it came, to, and there was some big, big stuff. But then it also, I think, the last thing that we lost was one line in particular, um, and it was just a, it was just like a, a you know, a, a very quick sort of one-liner, and that was the last thing that we took out. That was like, okay, we haven't derailed, we haven't derailed a certain section of the audience with. Mm that character now so and look and there were multiple other things like that too in different ways that 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 required so much balance and the only way we could get that balance was by showing it to people and and we had a really incredible test screening um in long beach in california in front of about 300 
suburban uh, people from from Long Beach right. uh, that didn't know anything about the movie other than the Peter and Josh were in it um, and that it was like a comedy and it had zombies in it. And we'd worked on the movie at that point. We'd cut the movie at that point for about eight months. And, and this was like the one that we were putting forward going, we just hope that this connects. But, you know, also I, I was, I, I'd never been more nervous in my life before this test screening because when you see an audience of 300 people come in and you don't know any of them and you realize that they don't have no context of the movie whatsoever, um, it was petrifying. But that screening could not have gone better. I mean, people were cheering during it at different points. And, you know, we had the sort of, uh, the, the, uh, the afterwards when they have someone ask them sort of questions and, um, and, you know, sort of drill down into all aspects of the story. It was just, they got it and they loved it. And, and, and that was the point that we were like, okay, I think we're okay for it to go out into the world now. And we've done as well as we can, but, but I'm also not going to lie. It was like, it, it was seven to eight months of torture trying to get the te- get the balance right between all the different was the, parts. In, in, the, in terms of the tension there for yourself, was that about you satisfying yourself or about the it was, responses it, satisfying other stakeholders in the film? No, it was a look, I, I was extremely lucky that the producers of this movie, um, uh, I'd worked with Jodie Madison, who produced my last movie, yeah. um, She's now part of a company called Made of Stories, which um, is a Bruna Papandrea. Um, it, it's her company, and and Steve Hatensky, who's a producing partner there as well, too. So it was those three, and then yeah. it was also Keith Calder and Jess Calder um, from Snoot, who were just big fans of Down Under um, that came on board, and and you know were producing partners as well. So I had you know five producers that were all so supportive and just making sure the movie was as good as it could be. Right. They weren't, um, it wasn't about like, uh, you know, they all, they all knew what we were making and what we were going for. Uh, but it also required us all to, you know, we just needed to keep, we needed to keep working on it. We needed to, we did a couple of days of pickups where we didn't shoot. Um, we shot a couple of new things involving the military, but we also just sort of tweaked a couple of things with certain shots as well, too, to really make sure that the emotion was coming through. So mm. it was like a, it was an ongoing sort of process where we kept designing the story as we were editing the movie, as opposed to, you know, just sort of going, well, we've got 14 weeks to cut and then that's it. But for, for, for me and for all of us, it was about making sure that this movie connected with an audience. Mm. I, made my last movie for an Australian audience, even though it, I actually think plays better for an overseas audience because there's a lot of parallels that can be made um, with what our movie, what that movie is about and what happened to the world since that mm. movie was made. But but I, I no longer make movies for an Australian audience. I now try and make I think of an American audience when I make a movie, which means that there's certain conventions, storytelling conventions, which I feel like you've got to, uh, you ignore them at your own peril. Um, and as long as you tick the boxes in providing the audience what they're familiar with, that means that you can bend the rules and kind of fuck around. Can, with out of interest, can you can you give an example of one of those storytelling conventions that you feel you need to satisfy? Well, look, it's a you know one of the many sort of you know when I was talking about the the different kinds of genres and the different types of things that this movie has, hmm. it has a very um, it has a very kind of uh, familiar you know, story of a character that starts one way and ends up another way and finds mm. their voice through the course of this movie. Yeah. Um, and it has a very conventional three-act structure as well, too. Mm. And it's... um So 
so it gives them something that that subconsciously I believe the audience feels safe with, knowing that it's going to go a certain direction. And because if you've made them feel like they're in good hands and kind of pushing them in that direction, then you can have fun with going, yeah, but what about this? Or what about we do this? Or like, and you know, it's, it's, and without mentioning some of the extreme sort of jokes that happen in this movie, that was always, I always said to the crew when we started this movie, we have to imagine the universal logo before it. And we need to make this movie look, feel and sound like a movie that's come from a studio. So we need to follow the rules in order to make that happen. And then if we do that, you can fuck with them in different in different things, and that will make it feel like it's something that they haven't experienced before. So for that reason, I didn't know um, if what we did had worked until I started screening it in front of Americans and, and needed those Americans to tell me yeah. if I'd actually sort of pulled it off. And so when we finished that test screening, it was like, Okay, great. I'm I, I'm done. I'm happy. We've done it. The movie may or may not connect with an audience. It may or may not sell. It may or may not be a success. But I know tonight in Long Beach with 300 people that I don't know that I've seen it work and that we did it. Yeah, and that's yeah, what yeah. You can actually hope for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else is that. I mean, I've I've not I've not had the experience of going to um, to the feature film going out there, but I've I've managed the rock band on on a major label, and the public are pretty pretty unforgiving if they, oh, if they yeah. don't and if they don't and they've got no reason and also unforgiving sounds like they, they mean it in the sense of they've got no stake in it so they've got no reason to like it never mind whether it, something working on a technical level or a craft level is irrelevant if they don't oh if completely they don't, irrelevant yeah know, why, totally. why, why is one thing this and one thing nobody's heard of yet they're both and technically as good especially especially with the comedy as yeah. well like comedy is so hard because it's like if they don't laugh, obviously it's not working. Or, you know, you could have them laughing, but then an audience can tell, if, you, if there's a lull in a comedy, it doesn't matter if there's a big laugh coming, you're going to lose them in the lull. So it's like, you've got to keep it moving. You've got to keep them, you've got to keep them invested in it. And then once you've got them on board, then you can play around with it. And then you can sort of, you know, subvert things and surprise them. And that's, you know, you can't make the audience kind of feel something emotionally until you've made them laugh first mm. as well. So, so it's like, it's, uh, it's just this horrific, balancing act um but you know i i was so well supported by all of the producers on this movie and you know we're, we're continuing to work together as well and um uh yeah and so i'm and you know i'm so thankful for the experience but god i had moments of doubt like new like in the edit so many moments of doubt but i've also come to recognize that if, unless you have those moments of doubt unless you aren't being tested then you're not going to continually push to finding the right solution yeah well i heard i heard a phrase i'd never heard before when i spoke to chelsea about this about certainly about getting that first assembly edit and stuff she said that um and she she said for the first time she didn't feel this but there's a phrase knocking about which is and it's it's not it's it's not correct for these times i suppose but the, the the phrase people use is the suicide edit in the sense of the director sees mm. that first cut and goes oh shit <laughs> you know and it's kind yeah, of and like we, we got to fix weirdly, it for me. weirdly I've always had the opposite well at least I've had the opposite the last two times I've watched the first cut and I've gone oh my god it worked I think we're okay <laughs> and then and then for a good ten weeks afterwards it's like oh I'm, I've just fucked up horribly and I'm never going to work again and. <laughs> 
But it's okay, I'll go back and I'll direct commercials and I'll just sort of hang out with my son and everything will be okay. So Well I'm glad I'm glad um, you I'm yeah. glad you hung in there, sir. Little Monsters is a, is a, is very much a triumph and the the audiences at Grimfest are gonna have a while of a time when it closes the festival. I, I, are you gonna be in town? I, I, I really wish I really wish I was going to be in town. Um, and I filmed an intro for Grimfest mm. for the movie, um, especially to Grimfest because this is, it is one. I'm, I'm going to be at the uh, London Film Festival in in a couple of weeks for, mm. for a screening there. But then I've got to continue on to the US for the US release, um, right. and so I can't get back back for it. But but Grimfest is exactly the type of festival that um, we screened down under at Fantastic Fest, right? Um, and that was. The most I've been to a lot of film festivals now, but the most fun I've had was at Fantastic Fest because it's a genre festival and it's it's one of those examples of people just going there to appreciate genre movies and then being able to sort of experience the movie with everyone, but then talk about it afterwards and talk about other things. And mm. I I've come to realise that that's actually the thing that gives me the sustenance to then actually you know try and do it again. So I'm really Really sorry that I haven't been able to um, make it out schedule-wise with with Grimfest, but I'm also really flattered that it's closing the festival as well mm. too. Because I mean, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, I've, I've lived in the UK for two years, and uh, it's got a special place in my upbringing. You know, Monty Python and Terry Gilliam movies were a huge influence on me when I was uh, was a child. Um, and you know, I've got a lot of really close friends in the UK, and I just really want to see this movie uh, with a UK audience, if only to see um, the one C bomb that gets dropped in this movie, which is the, the out of all the screenings in the states, even like you know, a, an audience full of people laughing at a gag about you know when a character's talking about shooting children. You know, uproarious laughter for that gag, but then when when another character drops a C bomb, complete silence. Mm. Like I just know we screened it in Australia. The C bomb got a huge laugh here. I just love to be able to at least hear that that particular line, get a laugh with an audience over in the UK. <laughs> well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Breakfast Podcast. Uh, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Breakfast Podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.